I didn't declare my major in college until second semester of sophomore year, and I only declared it after my advisor advised me to just pick anything. I'm pretty sure she said something like, Molly, I know where you grew up. It doesn't matter what you study. You'll be fine. Just pick something. In fact, that's exactly what she said to me. So I picked English literature because I liked to write stories, and I had a crush on one of my creative writing teachers. Anyway, when I graduated from college, I moved to the Bay Area, and I became a waitress at a Chicago-style pizza restaurant called Zachary's. It's still there. You should go. Tell them I sent you. So one day, while I was on a break at work, I was browsing in the bookstore next to the restaurant, and I came across the newest edition of the short story anthology called The Best American Short Stories of Whatever Year That Was. So I flipped through to see which short story authors were included, and in that list of authors' names was Peter Orner, my creative writing teacher from college. I couldn't believe it either, and I yelled, oh my God, to which everyone in the store looked over at me to make sure I was okay because it's a bookstore and you're not supposed to yell. So I said to everyone in the store, I'm so sorry, but one of my old professors was published in this book, to which the checkout clerk responded, I would have yelled about that too. And then we smiled in solidarity as she walked back to the cash register to help somebody check out, and I put the book back on the shelf and headed to finish my shift at the pizza restaurant. Peter Orner now has published like six or seven books, but does he have a podcast? Well, okay then. Welcome back to another episode of I Am This Age, a podcast proving it's never too late, you're never too old, so go do that thing you're always talking about. I'm your host, Molly Sider. Today's guest is Audrey Mayer, who recently left her job in academia in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan to move to New Hampshire with her son, Lucas, to work as an ecologist. This conversation is funny and real and addresses things like, what do you do when you realize you're becoming someone you don't necessarily like? And how just because you leave something, be it a job or a partnership or whatever, doesn't make you or that thing you're leaving a failure. I loved talking to Audrey and I like her more and more as I work on this episode. You'll like her too, but before we get into it, Listen, I created this show because I needed to know that I was going to be okay, and it turns out a lot of other people needed to feel that way too. So help me help more people. If you like these episodes, take a screenshot and share it on social media and tag us or text a friend about it. I need your help. Also, if you have your own idea for a podcast, but you need someone to produce it for you, that's what we do. We'll help you conceptualize, produce, and even coach you through the overwhelming process of making a podcast. We have a gift for making people feel comfortable when they might normally feel uncomfortable. Go to jellyfishindustries.com for more information. And now, please enjoy Audrey Mayer. All right, here we go. <laughs> uh Hi, my name is Audrey Mayer. I'm 49 years old, and I am currently an ecologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Awesome. Hi, Audrey. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm um, on the mend. You can still hear my voice. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to ask you how you were doing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm feeling fine. I just sound crappy. So I don't know how long this is going to, I'm, I'm going to sound like this. I feel like maybe forever. <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah, this one takes a while to get over. That's what I've heard. Even if you have a mild case, it just sort of drags on, which is yeah. not at all helpful for you to hear. But <laughs> it's, but it's I any get it. information is helpful. You know, there's like so little yeah. information out there. So anything is helpful. Anyway, yep. so you have you studied ecology. You've always known that you wanted to do this and be in this world. So you studied it in undergrad. You went to grad school, you got your PhD, you got a postdoc at a university, um, all of which were sort of pointing you in this direction of becoming a professor. But instead of being a professor at first, you had an opportunity to work for the EPA, which you took, right? And for probably a bunch of reasons, I imagine, but a huge one was so that you can pay off your student loans faster, which makes sense. That was one um, reason. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you were living in Cincinnati. You were working at the EPA. You didn't really like Cincinnati very much, um, even though I have lo- I have friends who live in Cincinnati. So hi, hi, friends in Cincinnati. We sure. love you. We see you. But <laughs> wasn't for you. Um, and you got this opportunity to work at was it at the University of Helsinki in Finland? Yep. Is that right? Okay. Yep. So that was your early 30s. So you, you moved to Finland, you worked there, and you became a single mom in your mid-30s in Finland. And from there, you decide um, that you want to get a job in the States. The reason why I was applying for jobs in the States is it was really hard to get a permanent position in Finland. Like even for Finns, because everybody has PhDs there. So I wasn't, I didn't have any unique skills that would make me more qualified than most of the Finns over there. So Finland is kind of like Canada, where they give uh, preference to re- to residents and citizens, right? <laughs> Not like in the U.S. So there was just no way I was going to outcompete Finns for those jobs because they're all super highly educated and qualified, and so. I would have loved to stay in Finland, but my chances of getting a job there were not great. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. That's when you went to the to the UP in Michigan, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So you were an assistant professor and then eventually a full professor. Yep. And you stayed there for a total of 12 years. Yep. What was the name of the university? I should know this. It was Michigan Tech. For those out there who listen to Louise Dival's, um yep. episode... That's, they knew each other and that's how I met you. Yes. Or she is how (laughs) I met you. While you were sort of working your way up the academic ladder, you became more and more unhappy at your job at work. Disillusioned. Unhappy. Mm Mm-hmm. You didn't like the school. You didn't like academia very much. What, what, What was it that you disliked so much? And also, how did it affect like who you were as a human being at that time? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So, and just to, so to go back to my time at the EPA, one of the things I really loved was that we were, it was very collaborative, that work. Like at the EPA, we were all working at the same mission on teams. Um, There there wasn't competitiveness. There weren't egos. Like when it came time to figure out, you know, journal article authorship or 
um, you know, who was going to be the project lead and who would be the co-leads or whatever. It was all very rational and generous. And, you know, we were all sort of in it together. And the one thing I just grew to really dislike about academia is how competitive and individualistic it is. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody's working in their own silo on their own thing and there's supposed to be collaboration and we're supposed to, you know, find synergy and work in these big teams on on big research questions. But really at the end of the day, your tenure, your promotion, all of that is just individual. And it even comes to the point where if you have if all of your papers are co-authored, there starts to be questions like, well, how much of this is your work? You know, like and how much of it is others? Mm. And so it really rewards, rewards like a, a very individualistic and sort of cold cost-benefit analysis to your decisions. And when I found myself doing that out of my own sense of self-preservation, I just felt like I was dying inside, you know, like that's not how I like to work. It's not how I like to live. Um, mm. And just the, the competitiveness it, to the point of being toxic behaviors that I didn't want to be around. And then sometimes I'd catch myself doing those behaviors and I'd be like, what am I like, what am I doing? Oh my gosh, I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I'm behaving like this. So it did affect who I was in not a great way at all. Um, I didn't like who I was becoming in that system. What did it take for you to really recognize that you were becoming this thing that you didn't really like? (laughs) It's funny because I've told you that I felt like, you know, I was that proverbial frog in the slowly boiling pot of water. And so, you know, looking back, there were so many instances that in hindsight, I was like, wow, that's, that's embarrassing. That's really bad. But I have to say that there was one PhD dissertation defense where looking back like that was that was where I crossed the line. I was too confrontational. So my points were valid, but the way that I was making them was not right. It was the way that all of the you know snotty, arrogant Uh, professors who are just there to cut down students, like that whole stereotype, I look back on it and I think, yeah, that could be said about me. That's where I was, I was like, okay, nope, this is not for me. If this is who I'm becoming, you know, this crotchety, angry, bitter professor that just cuts down students instead of, you know, and it was, like my intent was to help. My intent was to point out like, you know, the really glaring problems that, you know, that just couldn't stand, but it was the wrong place to do that. It was the wrong time and I did it in the wrong way. And, and yeah, that was the moment where I'm like, nope, I'm becoming the, the one thing I never wanted to be like the one thing I always looked down upon those types of professors. And there I was. So yeah. That was like, yeah, this is the end of my academic career. I need to I need to go elsewhere. This is not wow. working. I mean, I know like just from my own experience, like when I'm not when I don't show up, I guess, the way that I want to or intend to or know that I'm capable of, and then I like have to go home and sit with that and like go to sleep at night somehow. Like th- those are really hard moments. Yeah. 
Well, I think, I mean, as a parent, I have those all the time where I hit the end of the day and I'm like, I wish I could get a redo on that day. You know, like yeah, uh, yeah. there are a lot of things I wish that I had done differently. And I think that's normal. Like that is whatever your life is. You have days where you're off or you're just not patient enough or, you know, whatever's going on. Yeah. But then there are days when you, it, and it, it didn't hit me in the moment. It just hit me a couple days later. Like that, that's, that's like a, a shift change. <laughs> you know, like that's not a bad day. That's me on the path to something I don't want to be. And so those are the ones that, you know, you don't necessarily know it in the moment or when you hit the bed at night. It's usually you, you're sort you start reflecting, you have that little voice in your head and you're just like, that was way worse. That wasn't just a bad day <laughs> or like, you know, like a, a misstep or a faux pas or, you know, I'm the queen of putting my foot in my mouth. I do it all the time. That was not what that was. You know, <laughs> that was right. something different. What was it like as you sort of began to understand that this world of academia wasn't really what you thought it was going to be? So it's funny, like, so, right, when I, I started my career after my PhD in federal service, um, and I really, I really did like it. So I had that experience of knowing a different sector, right? Like, I wasn't the type of person who I went straight into a, P, into a professor position after my PhD, had never worked outside of academia, didn't know what was out there. So I knew it was out there. And I knew, you know, I'd say two or three years before I finally ended up leaving that I was like, I need to be back in federal service. The spirit of how people work and the, the spirit of everybody working towards the same mission, like that's where I wanted to be. That's where I felt Mm -hmm. at home. But I still, because I had been in academia so long, I still had that, the, the fight to not feel like a failure You know, like academia is just so puffed up, like the smartest of the smart and the best of the best of the bright, you know, like the cream of the crop. They're in academia. And if you can't find an academic job or you don't get tenure or whatever, you're a failure. Like, you know, you're just, you're not in the upper echelon. And then, of course, there's the ranking of universities Ivy League, R1, R2. I mean, it's like endless, right? Right. So, even though I knew I had been outside academia and I knew that that was just a pile of BS like, you know, like for like a thousand reasons, none of that is true. I still had that internal conversation with myself. Like you're not a failure. Like just because you're abandoning a tenured full professor post and just, you know, like you haven't failed this isn't like a crisis, you know, you're just, your career is taking on a new phase and it's fine. And it's just as valuable and productive. And I tell you, I mean, in my office, I'm surrounded by brilliant people, you know, this idea that all the brilliant people are in academia and then there's everyone else is totally false. So, I mean, it only took me a month or two in my current position where I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, no, not a failure. Like, you know, but there was that sort of butterflies in the stomach, like, oh, wow, am I really doing this? And and have I just failed at academia? <laughs> like I had to talk myself out of that conversation. And it's rough. How? Yeah, I bet. 
how long do you think you were sort of wrestling with this idea of leaving? Uh, yeah, I'd say those, those like final two or three years. And I did a lot of stuff in those two or three years where I was really trying to do different things to try to get more comfortable. So I took part of my position, um, I, uh, put into the provost office doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work. I thought, you know, maybe if I work to make this a better, more hospitable place, it will make me feel more comfortable. Um, I ended up as a, an interim vice president for four months, uh, again, vice president for diversity, um, thinking like, maybe I'll try this on while we, you know, hire the permanent person. Um, so I was trying a lot of different things in academia to see if I could, you know, find a place that felt better. And it just didn't. What other sort of fears and uncertainties did you have about working for the EPA again or moving to a different city or any of it? So my son had, you know, I mean, he spent his first year in Finland, which he doesn't remember. And then all the rest of his years in the upper peninsula of Michigan, And so this was a big move for a 13-year-old to the Northeast where we had never lived. Uh, He had never been. I mean, when we moved there, like, I had only been to Massachusetts. I had never been to Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut. I mean, like, I would say all of my fears were around moving him and I to a place where we didn't really know anybody and we had never lived. And it was quite different culturally you know, he's like 13. What if he doesn't make friends? Like, what if he hates his school? And it was still kind of like raging pandemic. And I thought like, what if he has to do another year of remote school? I mean, like seventh grade was awful. It was remote and it was just awful. (laughs) You know, I was like, what if that's still going on? And now he's in a new place and he can't even meet kids because of the stupid pandemic. Right. What was your conversation with your son like, like around this potential move? So we we talked about positives and negatives, and he wasn't really happy in the UP either. So he definitely wanted to move, but his preference was to move into like southern Wisconsin or Chicago, where our family is, um, where he had been over and over and over. You know, he's really familiar with that yeah. area. But the big selling point for him was the sheer number of hockey programs <laughs> here in the Northeast, especially New England, like there weren't a lot of programs in the UP. And so that's great for him. He meets a ton of kids. He's got a really good group of friends. Not all of them play hockey, but a lot of them do. Um, and it just got him into the social scene really fast. So that that's was amazing. Yeah. So for him, it's, it has been a good move. Um, he does miss the Midwest, but, um, yeah, it's been good for him. So all of those huge fears, like the disasterizing I was doing, um, and then the pandemic sort of, you know, we got through the last hurdle and then the vaccines came out like, you know, so that whole context changed. I'm glad that he's thriving so much. First of all, that's awesome. Um, what what, is, what has it yep. been like for you to meet people and create a new social life in your late 40s in a new city you've never lived in? That must be hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And I have to be honest, I really have not been doing much of that at all. Um, so my socializing is really pretty much limited to the hockey parents and to the people at work. And I should be better. I mean, part of it too, it's the pandemic. Are you, do you, like, are you yeah. typically like an extroverted person or an introverted person? Do you, would you say? Probably lean towards introvert, but not mm. all the time. Um, I will say the biggest bummer for me, you know, talking about social lives. So back in, in the UP in Michigan, I had a great social life, but then everybody moved away. Like, because, and I knew all of them through, they were all faculty and they all just couldn't stand the university or the area and they moved away and every, and we'd even, you know, a lot of them moved to the Pacific Northwest, oddly enough. So my son and I did like this big circle through like Washington state and Kamloops and Vancouver and saw a bunch of people. And, um, and they're all like, when are you going to leave? Like, when are you going to find a new job? And I didn't like it there either, but it never occurred to me that everybody would just, you know, and Louise left too, right? I mean, so I had a really great social life and then they all, I think it was like 2012, they all just huh. left. That's so interesting. <laughs> the whole social, my whole like crew was just gone. So after that, I was like, why bother? You know, the turnover <laughs> was so high and that's academia's like that too. I mean, people are leaving for different places and you know and it's like yeah you kind of feel like you're in the military you know <laughs> like why bother Aww. making good friends if everybody's just gonna move it on <laughs> I know it sounds terrible it is harder it is harder um, as an adult first of all it's harder as an adult just to make friends yeah. but you're right then people do leave yeah. and it's always hard and sad and I'm I've moved around yeah. a lot too and yet I get I start to like stress out when I have friends um, who are telling me that like, oh, well, I might move to California or wherever. I like stress out. I'm like, you can't yeah. leave me. And then I think like, I leave, every, I like always leave. I don't always leave, but yeah. I have left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Right, I'm guilty right. too, right? I'm not saying right. I'm innocent in that whole like friend churn, That's hard. Um, it's but a it's a bummer. Once my son, you know, gets situated and we're all situated, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to I don't know where I'm going to start, but yeah, start making friends and, you know, I mean, I know how to do it. I've done it before. <laughs> Let's just start over. I know you have strong opinions about college and undergrad and the college systems um, and how they're set up. And I, I know, obviously this is a podcast about like the second part of life, but I do think that, yeah it's relative and I think it's kind of important and it was interesting when we were talking over the phone about it. So I wanted to address it um, because I, I think how we approach and experience undergrad often and obviously directly feeds into all the other choices that we make about how we live as, as adults and what sort of yeah. societal rules we abide by and what boxes we feel like we need to stay in and which boxes we feel comfortable you know, moving out of. And I sort of think that if we, maybe if we better addressed how we approach college and experience college, that we might be more equipped to handle whatever comes later in life. And obviously, isn't that what college is for? But I feel like yeah. so many people, and myself included, sort of just muscle through undergrad um, without really much direction or, you know, knowing why we're there or what we want to do after 
there's just, there's so much like pressure to, you know, graduate high school, go to college, graduate college in four years, get a job, get married, have, you know, a house and babies and a dog or whatever. And it's all connected. So I just, I wanted to know more about what your opinions are about that because I know you have strong ones. Yeah. So you just covered like a a, a lot of ground. (laughs) Sorry. So yeah, no, that's fine. So first let me acknowledge that it is true that people with a bachelor's degree end up earning more over their lifetimes than people with a high school diploma. Like bachelor's degrees are very helpful. That said, I find it extremely unhelpful to go right into college from high school when you have no idea what even what your major is, let alone what you want to do in life and accumulate like tens of thousands of dollars of debt that then sort of require you to take jobs for the paycheck instead of because it's something you're interested in. Um, I'm just really unhappy with that whole situation. I think it's, it's awful. And, you know, back like in my parents' time, right, the boomers, like colleges were supported by the state, like really heavily subsidized. And so people came, you know, you could put yourself through college with a part-time job, which is like not how it is now. Right. And so, you know, in previous generations, when it was like that, Absolutely. You could go into college and like find out who you are, you know, like take a lot of classes and change your majors and learn, you know, critical thinking and a love of lifelong learning, all that really idealistic stuff that is true. All of that is true for college. However, like in our current situation where college is ridiculously expensive and people are taking out massive loans when they're like 18 years old is just not sustainable. It's not good. And the only people I can advocate for going down that path are people who, who like me, like I know I want to be an ecologist. Like this is, this is my major. I'm positive of it. I know I want to do it. And I went into college thinking that, and I came out of college, you know, with a, well, biology degree, but, you know, ecology, Um, then by all means, go for it. And I came out of college with a lot of debt, you know, and as, right, as you pointed out, like, then that, that starting at the EPA was really attractive because I could pay off my student loans on that Mm -hmm. salary. You know, I actually did a brief postdoc at the University of Cincinnati, like for 18 months, and I think my paycheck was like 25000 a year. And this was 2000 So that EPA job allowed me to completely change my financial situation and open up all sorts of options, right? And not all jobs that, that people get do that. And if you've got a ton of student loans, you are, you're like handcuffed to those things. So, you know, for people who aren't really sure what they want to do. I'm a huge fan of just getting a job after high school and working a couple of years or join the military or, you know, go to community college first or, you know, don't jump right into like 25 grand a year in loans when you're not really sure what you're going to do with it. 
And, you know, and so right as a professor, that was get, that was really bumming me out too, that I had a significant portion of my students who just did not seem really engaged with the material. And I kept thinking like, you're paying a lot of money (laughs) to like either sit in this chair or not come to class at all. Right. This surely there's a better use of your time. You should be making money instead of spending it, you know? Um, And so that kind of crushed me a bit too. I felt like I was part of this machine of just like sucking in these 18 year olds and saddling them with a bunch of debt before they really knew what they wanted to do with life. So I'm a, you know, I'm a big supporter of higher ed. Uh, That's not it at all, but I am not a supporter of this, right? Graduate high school, go right into college. You know, all the college grads have been told there's like this six figure job hanging out for them at the, (laughs) like, and we're in a really good labor market right now. And there's still not six figure jobs, you know? Um, And then, right. And just marching down that path. And that path is good for some people, but it's, I would say it's not good even for the majority of people. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why, you know, we're here talking, why I'm here doing this, because I think a lot yeah. of people do march down that path. And then at some point are like, I don't like this path. Like, this is not mm-hmm. what I thought it was going to be, or this is wasn't my choice. This was somebody else telling me I'm supposed to do this and I listened or whatever. And so now here we are trying to figure something else out. And maybe that would happen anyway, but maybe not. And I, I mean, I would never say that that path is what leads people to completely shift careers midlife because midlife career shift is really common and it happens for all sorts of reasons. And, you know, people go into college loving what they're doing and they do it for 20 years and then they're like, you know what, (laughs) I want to do that thing over there. And that's totally fine too. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying go into college and then stick with that thing forever. Um, but I just think, you know, man, at 17 or 18 or even 22, you know, like, I'm not sure a whole lot of people have a good grasp of what it is they want to dedicate their brains to for four years. Yeah, you know, I agree. Well, I really appreciate you coming here. Thank you so much for talking to me and tell me, telling me your story and about your son. And um, I'm excited to hear more about how it goes. Yeah, I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Thank you to David Ben Perat for our sound engineering, Dan Davin for the music, David Harper for the artwork. I am This Age is produced by Jellyfish Industries. I'm your host, Molly Sider. See you all next time. <laughs>